Hi everyone, good afternoon. Um, this is Taff Avenue here again. Uh, today, Mr. Inasas and I are going to expantiate and reiterate on the United Nations Sustainable Development Goal number one, which is no poverty, right? And we're going to go into detail and explanation about the global crisis right now of macroplastic and microplastic. Good afternoon, Mr. Inasas. Hello, everyone. I hope you are all well. How was your weekend? Um, so we're going into goal number one, right, again? Yes, it was really good, and I'm excited to talk a bit more about zero poverty. Yeah, so last time we talked about zero poverty and how it affects um, the society, the global community, and I actually talked to a few people who mentioned to me that they kind of felt that maybe education is more important than poverty being number one. And they explained to me because the lack of education and why we are poor in communities and societies and global communities is important for us to understand why it's happening. And actually, that's right. So we can change goal number one that has been set as goal number one. But I think the one link that people are seeing is that education, education, education of your environment of your society, of the union you're in, and also of the world. Because if each person is helping and doing their own part, then we can have 7 billion types and times of um, kind of outcomes instead of having people who have to be paid to do this or who work in this position. But each and every person is here to contribute in their own way. So um, just let us know again how you would define poverty in its simple form. I would define poverty as an insufficient amount of something or insufficient quality of something that allows you to live a healthy life. Yeah, um, and I believe that every single person would have their own definition of poverty. So we're 7.5 billion people right now. I believe that if you ask 7.5 billion people to define poverty, they would first of all define poverty based on their own definition and experience of poverty or not, and also how they see poverty in their community and their society. So to someone, poverty might mean not having clothes, not having shoes, not having food to eat. To someone else, poverty is lack of education of how to behave and um, kind of promote and condone yourself within the society. Um, to someone else, it might be something else, but... When we talk about global poverty, that's when everyone goes like, hmm, that's a harder question and a harder um, definition to have to have when it comes to poverty. So um, what else do you have to kind of bring to the table when it comes to poverty before I kind of give my own thoughts and ask some questions? I think that is important to consider the, again, going back to the insufficient when it comes to resources, whatever it is, whether it's educational, emotional, healthcare, whatever the resource is, it's the lacking in quality of that. Uh, also, I think it's important that we take a step back and listen to those who've experienced poverty and listen to those um, in order to find a solution, collaborate, I think collaboration is one of the key aspects to getting anywhere close to solving this problem. Yeah, I believe that when people want change, 
You can protest, you can have manifestations and whatnot on the streets and on the roads, but you have to stand up for what you want. It's the government's position to make the rules and the laws and to govern, but it's also not their job to make sure that each and every single person that exists within the system and the country is not poor or is not liking education and healthcare. You got to stand up and you have to speak in the manner where you can be listened to. Because when you scream and you fight and you blow things up and you burn things up, you are just aggravating the situation and people don't want to, no one wants to listen to someone who's being too aggressive. I think we've all been aggressive in our lives and the person who is receiving the aggression is not most likely going to be very receptive of it in a nice way. But if you can sit down and start talking within communities, if you can't reach someone on top of the system, the government, start with someone who's your neighbor and start talking to your neighbor and say, what is your problem when it comes to this topic? How do you think this topic can be addressed in your opinion? Then that neighbor asks another neighbor or another friend, and then it becomes a chain of events where people are just asking each other how this can be fixed, how it can be addressed, because it's not just affecting one neighbor, it's affecting the whole neighborhood, the whole society, the whole community. And poverty is honestly, it's a shame, right? When you think of there are people, there are especially children, because there are people and there are children, and I like to distinguish and differentiate between children and people, because people are adults, right? All around the world, you know who you are, you know what your name is, you can define at least what your purpose is right now and what you're doing if it's studying or working. But when you have children who grow up in that state of abstract poverty, where they don't even have hopes and dreams, that's sad. That's really sad for anyone to be born anywhere and to just not have hopes and dreams beyond their lack of food. I believe poverty is, you, you don't have food, you don't have clothing to wear, you don't have the right to education, you don't have the right to health care. I mean, if education, health care, and like these things are addressed all the time problems we have in societies where people are being robbed, people are being this, people are being that, that is going to go down so much more. Why does someone think that they have to rob your house? It's because they have something, they see something that you have that they don't have. And I mean, I'm speaking now in the name, at least my foundation is interested in working in not just the African Union, but also in the South American Union, the Mercado Común de Sur, that's a common market of the South, because the issues that are faced that these two unions are facing are not horrible. They are a bit detrimental to their advancement in society and in communities. And maybe just bringing a little bit of hope, speaking to people, listening to people, because I understand someone high up in government can go around in neighborhoods and talk to people. Maybe that's not their position, but I think in TAF, I mean, I know at least myself, I speak for myself, but in TAF, we want to address the global citizens. That's what I call every single person. All 7 billion of us is a global citizen because we have the right to be here because we we're born here. Um, so, Mr. Nessas, um, what and how would you reiterate how we can start kind of, I, I would say that we should go around and ask people, like you said, about 
what their personal problems are, but we also can talk to all 7 billion people on the planet. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're podcasting. Yeah. But in your opinion, how do you start putting these ideas, at least in people's heads? Well, I think, again, it is not simply about a reactive approach immediately trying to go and solve the problem. It's really going in. And again, I, I really think it's important to listen. Um, and you made a uh, comment on protest and, you know, trying to get things done. Um, but I would actually say that the the problem is or why these protests happen in the first place is that, um, and whether one agrees or disagrees, that's a whole other um, matter. But at taking the time to listen to these voices often, and uh, I quote Martin Luther King Jr., who said, uh, riots were the voice, are the voices of the unheard. And so I think it's taking that step back and listening, you know, and and giving dignity to people, even if I might disagree. It's at least trying, attempting to understand the reasoning, the why, and knowing the systems of how it got there. You know, Um, poverty is not an issue that just happens out of nowhere. And no one just puts themselves in the situation. So taking our, 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 our biases, or trying to at least control our biases, um, and a, to say what a bias is is a ben, uh, essentially a, a stereotype or a way of thinking about people before you really know them, a, a, a judgment, so to speak. Um, taking our biases and and listening, talking to these people, getting to know the history, the community, the politics, the life and and trying to understand what the needs of the people are and and trying to work with these people to to achieve that so that means to support the visions of others and not the visions we see for them does that make sense yeah um it definitely does make sense I think, like you said, it's um, a matter of listening and communication. Yes. Um, we need to pay attention to why they are, maybe, may why they feel they're in a, in a, an unfair state of poverty. So we have poverty defined in English and French and whatever language it is that you might speak around the world. There is a definition of poverty in a dictionary. Because Cambridge says so, and Oxford says so, and this dictionary, and that person, and that professor, and that educated humanitarian says so. But how do you define poverty to the basic human being who has not had the opportunity? I think no one, maybe that's something that we need to start thinking about is addressing the global goals, not just because we know how it's defined and what governments have put out, but also understanding it on a very, very, very basic human mentality. A person who has maybe never gone to school, maybe doesn't know anything more than what they have experienced in their own direct environment, but without the bias, like you said, of I read it on Oxford Dictionary or I read it on Cambridge Dictionary, and this is why I'm defining it, but someone who actually lives in that state of poverty, how would they define it? That's actually something that I would love to start thinking about is how would it 
When I say a basic person, I don't mean a person who's less than anyone else in the world, but I mean a person who, yeah, has not gone to school, does not have that formal education, does not have access to healthcare, has maybe never even left their town, their village, their township, their whatever it might be. How would they define poverty? I think because when you think about the access that they have to these things that I've mentioned, like health and whatever. That access is so far away for them that maybe most of them think that they can never access that in their lives. But if we can start bridging these gaps between what how you and I define poverty and how person A defines poverty in another country, but also asking everyone, that's people, maybe doing how you would find a population like census for each year in a country where you want to find out how many people live there. Maybe starting to ask these, like starting to add these questions in how would you define poverty? Why do you think you're poor? Um, why do you think education is a problem in your society? Why do you think healthcare is lacking? Why do you think um, energy and clean water? Why do you think, because these people, I promise you, these people have the answers that we have not heard yet because maybe we've not given them the opportunity to speak their minds. Uh, yeah, I think, I, I do think the narrative and narrative, which it means story, the stories of people and these experience are very important because when it comes to information and data, it is important to not just have a statistic because people aren't just a statistic. So sure, we can have these statistics on poverty and they are important, right? These stats are important. But if we have the story that gives it the context or the evidence behind this statistics, we can better improve the data or the information that we collect and we can better come up with ways to address these issues, right? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a very um, profound answer to give. Obviously, and just me mentioning this whole population census just brought ideas to my head of what I would like to do in my foundation is not just ask the government who have heard a million times what they think the problem is or the people high up in society or not even high up in society. But when you go to find out how many people live in the smallest town and the smallest house and the smallest household in the middle of nowhere, before you leave that area that region and you only find out this is how many people who live here why don't you why don't we start having censuses um that include why do you think your society why do you think are you happy first of all with your situation when it comes to um your financial situation the educational situation the health care are you poor? How would you define poverty? Because if we start asking people, everyone who is doing that, we don't have to go everywhere. But if we send that information to them and it's not a matter of us trying to find out how many kids they have or how many people they are in that society, I think we're going to start getting yeah a lot of answers that need to be filtered by a lot of people. But then we have a lot of people involved as opposed to we have some people who are supposed to be those qualified people. There's no time to be qualified to do anything when there is a global crisis and a climate crisis and a healthcare crisis and a poverty crisis around the world. And when uh, when you speak on qualification, I think it's also important to think about 
the actual experts on their situation um, to consult and to that thinking about expertism or qualification as the people living in however we define poverty are the experts on their situation, right? So again, we have to listen to their solutions and attempt to support them in that way or listening to the people or doing what we can to empower, I think, is the really important thing, empowering people to have a voice, to be heard, to have a, a, a way to, to see action and move forward, right? I think there, there's so many people in the world that don't feel empowered or don't feel that their voice has any power. So I think if at all we can do one thing is to give people power and give people a voice and stopping people from being unheard. I think that goes a very, very long way. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're just gonna leave everyone with like these ideas we put out about poverty and we're just going to close that chapter for now of um goal number one um no poverty uh at taf international and just this morning i was out for a workout and a run and i was sitting by the sea and staring at the sea and thinking you know a lot of us think that the sea is a part of the world that is uncontaminated that is clean in most parts of the world at least because we see it Nothing floats on it because most things sink into it if they're too heavy or they don't have like buoyancy, meaning that they don't float. Um, and now you have a lot of like scientists that are going down and diving into the sea and finding out that there are like decades of things that have been dumped into the sea. Because, yeah, if we don't have it on land and the land is clean, then the sea can just kind of like hide that or that's eventually just going to break down because the sea has salt and all these other chemicals in it that involves that but now we are addressing and we're finding out that there is a gigantic macro plastic problem and micro plastic problem so the macro plastic right is what we can see all the plastic that we throw away maybe it's recycled in some parts of the world maybe it's not and eventually it just ends up being dumped into the sea because there's an overproduction of plastic. So maybe before we could recycle it because there was just enough. But now there's so much plastic in production that we can't recycle it. We can't burn it. We can't because that's also um, promoting the global crisis of climate change. So we can't do anything else. And in the end, the only thing we can do is hide it under the sea. But what happens is that these Plastics that have been under the sea for decades now have broken down because of sunlight, as Mr. Ness has mentioned to me a few days ago, um, and through other chemical processes that happen under the sea. So they start breaking down um, from macro large pieces of plastic into micro very, very, very small pieces of plastic that can't even be seen with our naked human eyes. We need special lenses. We need special medical equipment or something to see them. So I didn't even know that there was like plastic in the form of its micro state where it can't be seen with the human eyes. But 
what is going on now is I'm speaking to the pescatarians is when you eat fish and yes, fish is healthy and seafood is healthier for you than red meat is for you. But they're finding a lot of animals that are like washing up into the shores of seas because they have consumed plastic and died. But fish that died is still served at the restaurant, is still served at the fish market. You don't know if that fish had been, had consumed plastic or died of actually plastic intoxication. So when you're a pescatarian and you consume fish, you are eating pieces of plastic that is not visible to your human eye that is within this fish. And these things are affecting hormone levels in men and women, especially women. It's affecting digestion. It's affecting chemical balance and chemical imbalances within the human body because yes, it's plastic and it's micro state that we can see. So a documentary that Mr. Anastas forwarded to me had mentioned about, um, yeah, okay, not all plastic is bad and we can't eradicate all plastic all at once because that's not possible. I don't think it's possible for us as a global community to do that in a year or in a month. But if we start understanding what which of these plastics is bad, chemically bad for the environment and for the sea life and marine life, then we can start, we can stop the production of that. So I'm going to let Mr. Nassis just kind of give some facts and data about this documentary that he forwarded to me. Yes. Um, so just to talk a bit about plastic and why we use it in the first place. Um, plastic is one of the most valuable resources of our, our time, right? It, it solves so many problems like decaying food and packaging and even you know you think every day going to the grocery store you have a plastic bag and it really is is incredible as it is because it cut it cuts the cost of production it in some ways reduces um, the amount of waste produced and it can be very useful, for example, with technology, computers, most things have plastic if they're tied to any kind of electrical device, right? But the problem, uh, a huge problem is, is that we throw away plastic at such a, a significant rate, um, partly because we use plastic for things that are meant to be thrown away. So some of the containers of food is in a very flimsy plastic or even just plastic bags, right? And this creates a, a really huge problem, right? Um, plastic is made of a synthetic polymer and it takes years and years to break down. So most of the, uh, a huge amount of the plastic actually ends up in the ocean. Um, and at a rate about 8 million tons per year. That's a significant amount. And what that means basically is that by year 2050, there'll be a heavier amount of fish, of, excuse me, plastic than there is fish in the sea, which is astonishing considering that we've not explored the entire ocean. Um, what else is alarming is that I I believe it's in the, the Pacific Ocean. There's an island of floating plastic, of flo floating garbage, right? A lot being con um, made of plastic in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. It is astonishing. It's the size of a country. 
it is, it is pretty um, scary. So we have a lot of it. It's breaking down. And so even if you're a vegetarian, you might think that you might not have a problem um, with microplastics or plastics in your food. However, we're not all safe because we live in an ecosystem, right? So, for example, fish and plankton might find these tiny, five, less than five millimeter um, pieces of plastic. That's what the the official definition of microplastic is. Anything below or any plastic below five millimeters. And that's tiny. So it goes down to a microscopic level, right? So plankton, fish might end up eating it. The fish might end up in our supermarkets and we eat it directly. However, you might think about plankton and other animals, right? Other sea life that end up eating that. And birds might eat that. And then another bigger animal might eat the bird. And then the bird might decay into land somewhere and, and give to plants. And that ends up in our farming. And, and so it's been even found in honey, in tap water, uh, in meats. It, it, it's astonishing. So it ends up in all parts of our life, right? And the scary thing about this is that it's we're, we're still uncertain about what the effects of these plastics are. And uncertainty or ignorance is not bliss in this case. Because when we don't know what this substance is doing, it's still going to affect us regardless. So whatever that effect is, it we are still super uncertain. And so it's going to take time to try to figure that out. So we need to move forward on this issue, especially since it's affecting our wildlife and affecting us. Um, speaking of wildlife as well, um, the the horror that the this pl plastic as it is it, uh, costs is really something to, to think about. There are something like 90% of seabirds have eaten plastic and many sea animals end up starving because their bellies are full of plastic and so that they can't they can't actually eat or digest anything anymore because they have so much plastic in their belly and they end up starving to death so it's it's really um this this kind of a secret issue is something we we have to really start getting behind and and trying to solve figuring out our ways that we can reduce or better effectively use plastics so that we're not being so wasteful and, and destroying or uh, polluting this super valuable resource, which is our ocean. Um, yeah, so as everyone has heard, we have a big, great, grand microplastic problem. We can't see microplastics, so it's possibly in the air we're breathing right now and we don't know because even scientists, as you mentioned, Mr. Nassas, don't know what microplastic is doing to our body. Who knows if microplastics are contributing to types of cancers, to organ failures, to diseases, to blood problems, to heart problems, to problems in men and women and children are exposed to microplastics from maybe before they're born because somehow it's ingested by their mother who doesn't know herself 
because we don't know what is going on with the microplastic problem. But that's why many people and many two people I've interviewed for my podcast um, have mentioned to me, and they're both vegans, actually, by chance. They mentioned to me the dangers of eating um, animals, fish, only because these animals eat because they're hungry. Mr. Anassas mentioned that a lot of birds end up in the shore and they're dead. And once scientists open them up, they find tons of plastic in them that hasn't been digested. So the birds can't eat anymore because their stomach is not like the human stomach that expands. When you eat a lot, your stomach expands. And if you eat too much for a long time, your stomach actually permanently expands. But these birds don't have that physiological um, effect as we do as human beings. So they're hungry because they don't have anything that is giving them nutrients to their body, but then they can't eat again because there's no space to put something in. And so they end up dying, as he mentioned. But And they might be consumed. They might be put in your grocery store, sold at your markets, and you don't know. And that's why being vegetarian or vegan is not just a matter of like, I am too poor to afford it. It's a matter of the society and the health of the society. So I'm just speaking to a lot of people because I'm learning as I go, as Mr. Anassas and other people I've interviewed are teaching me things. I'm just, we are sharing it with everyone else who might not have the time to open a book, to read this, or to listen to a documentary because that's not their job and we're all just trying to do our jobs. But just be a little more conscious about your consumption of meat and chicken and fish. And also, if you go to the grocery store, the market, if you already have plastic bags at home, you don't need to buy a new set of plastic bags. You can take the ones you have at home and have your new groceries put inside. So that is you telling that grocery store, the manager, kindly but not rudely to their face that I don't want any more of your plastic because we have a microplastic problem. And if people stop buying plastic, then stores have to start producing plastic and say it's because of the consumer. So in the end, it's the consumer's fault when the consumer doesn't know what effects these are having on their systems and their bodies. So um, just to kind of go back on the whole listening to our neighbors and addressing the poverty on the level of the person that is actually most affected by poverty. How do they define poverty? Why do they think they're in a state of poverty? And Mr. Nassas mentioned they probably have better solutions to global poverty um, eradication than maybe the West does or a scientist does or a professor or a doctor, whoever you might be in your position. And you're just observing it from high above as opposed to living it and feeling it. So before we end, I don't know if there, um, there's anything else you want to let the public know about um, microplastics, microplastics and the poverty um, crisis problem I think in a way these these issues are though different still intertwined and connected through uh, a similar system and you'll even find that plastics and plastic consumption um, I wouldn't be surprised to find that that also correlates or um, connects to um, people in poverty so I think it's just something to consider that we live in this huge world and we are rather globalization. One looks at globalization as good. We're affecting it um, through this process. And so we as a community, as a people, as humanity need to step up and take responsibility for this. And this solving any of these issues are not going to be a simple 
tasks that we can solve in a day. It didn't take a day to get here and it's not going to take a day to solve it, but we need to get on it now. Yeah. Okay. So I hope that um, we have shared enough now about the micro and macro plastic problem and also the climate crisis and just um, the ecosystem. When you do something, you throw something, you eat something, I promise you, whatever it is that you're doing to yourself that is benefiting yourself and only yourself is also benefiting or affecting someone else. But we're realizing that our day-to-day habits are affecting the global community a lot more in a negative way than a positive way. So we just need to be a little more conscious about what we eat Add a little more green vegetables and fruits to your lifestyle and a little less meat to your lifestyle because also that's just better for your health. Um, I'm just speaking about health. It's better for your health to consume less red meat because of blood pressure problems, because of many other things that I don't have to give a long list, but just be a little more concerned about what you do and how that can affect just your neighbor or your children or your family. So I hope that everyone has... A great weekend, and we will see you on the next podcast. Have a great one.